coming up on Influencing Entrepreneurs. ROI is so tough in our industry. It really, really is. Unless you have a direct campaign, there is no way to 100% know where a new client's coming from. After years of teaching entrepreneurship and consulting with numerous companies, I realized that when business leaders shared stories of their success, hardships, and mistakes, it always had an impact in the classroom. So I thought, why not share these real-life business cases for education and inspiration? I'm Kazmer Ward, and this is Influencing Entrepreneurs. On today's episode, we speak with Kelly Jo Jeffries with Threaded Marketing. Kelly Jo's perspective is unlike that of many of her industry counterparts. With more than 17 years of experience in corporate marketing and communications, Kelly is focused on strategy development, project management, proposal execution, and brand consistency for clients ranging from small, local businesses to some of the largest companies in the world. Prior to starting Threaded Marketing Group, Kelly was national marketing manager for a global construction firm. Her collaborative approach and excellent communication skills, cultivated while working with international acquisition teams, provides her clients and partners with innovative, strategic solutions that not only drive results, but accelerate business growth. Kelly Joe, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. So my first question is, is how do you market a marketing firm? Hmm. So it all comes down to relationships. I am a huge believer that it is relationships from people that you knew growing up and people do business with people that they know, like, and trust. So having that relationship with people and being a resource for people, not just wanting their money, but actually wanting to help them, wanting to add value, giving them ideas without them asking for it. Like, hey, I saw this opportunity. Did you see that? That'd be great for you. Or um, here's a, a position that you know you guys really should be um, submitting for. Things like that. Um, so that's that's really what's helped me is just talking to people and helping people kind of um, on their own terms, not necessarily wanting to market for us. So how do you build a business on off of that? Because we have our network, we have our friends and family. At some point, we need to keep the lights on. Mm -hmm. So how do you monetize that in a way that you're comfortable with? Well, I think you have to do good work, period. Um, you know, my dad always used to say, just put your head down and do the work. So I think having the experience in, and you know, I had 15 years in corporate America. So having that background before going out on my own really helped because I, I knew what I was doing. But you have to make the transition from your personal relationships to those professional ones. So being involved in every networking event you can, you know, saying yes to every single thing, whether it's a 5K in your neighborhood, whether it's a pie baking contest, like just meeting people and getting out there and seeing what, like learning about them and they can learn about you. I mean, gosh, the last few clients I've had have all come from referrals. So far, we've almost been 100% referral based. Almost, I mean, I think I've had two clients that weren't referrals. So it's just people that I know that have referred us and it's, it's grown. So you spent some time in the corporate world, 15 yes. years there. Well, tell us about that experience. So I'm a corporate girl through and through. I uh, wanted the corner office. I wanted the pinstripe suit. I originally wanted to be an attorney. So when I was in college, I went to work for a law firm 
thinking that I was going to get my foot in the door and kind of learn the ways. And very quickly, I learned I did not want to be an attorney. Um, and in doing that, I had just kind of fallen in. I saw a brochure that the senior partner was using. I asked him if I could take it home on my own time, make some edits, and if he would give me feedback on that. So I did. I came back a few days later, handed him a brochure that I thought kind of perfected and kind of hit the points harder that I felt were important for him. Um, he says, congratulations, you're our new marketing director. You start today. Um, and that's really where it started for me. Um, I worked there for four years. Went After college, I went to work for an architectural and engineering firm and started at the bottom in marketing. And I think that's very important to know, you know, you don't come in owning your own firm and knowing what you have to do. You have to learn all of the nuances of the mail and how to put a proposal together and how to figure out how to interview someone to find out what to write. You know, how to think about what stories are going to um, captivate your audience and, and those kind of things that you don't, you're not necessarily in the weeds the, the farther up you go in, in your career. And after quite a few years, gosh, probably 12 years, I just thought, gosh, the more I give to corporate America, the less time I have with my family. It's less about the life that I really wanted. Even though I wanted this corner office in this pinstripe suit, it just wasn't realistic with what I wanted for my family life. So I had two small kids and I said, you know what, I can do this on my own. Um, I was a little timid to go out on my own. I would not have just gone in and quit. There's just no way I didn't have it in me. Um, and I needed that paycheck. So I started a kind of a side gig. And once I built that up on the side, enough where I kind of felt comfortable, I had a little bit of a cushion. Um, about a year into this, it just worked out that my corporate gig said, hey, you know what, we're gonna take this national team that we had formed just a few years ago and we're gonna push you back into the regions. And I said, that doesn't really work for me. I don't really want that role. And they said, okay, well, we'll pay you a severance. And I said, sweet. And so I took that severance and I took my side gig and that's how I started out on my own. So you learned how a business ran while you were in corporate America. You learned about operations, how to make a proposal, some form of financial statements. I'm sure you had were held to a budget. Is there room for entrepreneurship in corporate America? Yes and no. Um, I worked for a very large company, and when you work for a large company, there are there is little room to make your own impact. Um, to do things your way. You can do, you know, reports your way, and, but at the end of the day, it is the kind of the way it's always been done. And I think as an entrepreneur, one of the things I've loved is being able to do things on my own terms. You know, I'll look at industry standards and I'll look at what other people are doing, but if it doesn't feel right for me and my company and my clients, then I do it differently and you don't have that freedom in corporate America. I think the other thing that is different is in corporate America, you are really representing that brand that somebody else has built. And um, the, the tone, the way you write, the way you present yourself, all of that kind of, you're, you're almost under their umbrella of what they've created. 
Whereas when you create your own, you can do things your way, right? You have that, that freedom to still be professional, but I am a lot more relaxed than I was in corporate America. I don't wear heels anymore. I, um, I'll still wear suits if I'm doing a presentation or um, a workshop, but it's much more relaxed because it's on my own terms, it's on my own way. So there's more risk and a lot more pressure to work on your own. How does that become more freeing? You know, I think it's, there's a balance there, right? Um, you have to sacrifice. There have been many nights where I wish I was just being able to be with my family, but if there's a deadline, then I, at the end of the day, it's my name that I'm working on that deadline. But at the same time, I can, I, there's this piece of me that says I can, I, I can say no to projects. I never have. If a client comes to me and needs something, I am gonna do everything I can to help them. There's something about that that you still have to work and you actually work harder because if you don't, then you're not putting food on the table for your family. You, you're hungrier, but it's in a different, it's, it's a totally different type of pressure. You know, in corporate America, I was answering emails until 2 a.m. sometimes, and I would wake up in the middle of the night and be like, oh, let me check my phone, and I would check my phone. I don't do that anymore. You know, I can get up in the morning, have my cup of coffee, answer all my emails. I can go to the gym, then come back, work. And I, I work more hours, but I work it around my life. That in itself is free. You start up your marketing firm. Mm -hmm. You luckily get a nice severance to at least uh, lower the risk. Yes. And uh, losing your job is one of the top triggers that starts a new company. Yep. What is the first year like? Because you've already had, you got one or two clients, kind of as the side hustle that turned into a business. Yep. How do you turn it into a business? So I think one of the big things I never expected to start a firm. Um, when I first when I first left corporate America, and I emailed a couple of people and said, "Hey, if you guys need marketing help, let me know." Um, that very quickly, I mean, within two weeks, I was working full time again for just those four people. And then those four people said, hey, let me introduce you. My friend Joe needs help. Hey, my friend Chris needs help. All of a sudden, this business was growing, but I didn't even realize at the time that I really had a business. I was still kind of thinking I was just helping. And I was charging, but I wasn't really formalizing anything, right? In fact, you know, I told you this story too, is when I first, I had to name my company in order to get a bank account, in order to incorporate. I never expected it to go public. So that's like the, the number one thing from a marketing standpoint is I do not, you know, you, you're always public facing. Everything is public facing. Um, whereas the name I chose, I never would have, have gone public with. And then two weeks later, three weeks later, I had a meeting and they said, hey, have business cards to go meet so-and-so. And I said, oh, what am I gonna put on my business card? And so I, created a, a logo and a business card overnight. Again, not what I would tell any of my clients to do. It's like marketing 101, right? You need a plan, you need a strategy. This, I went under that name for my first two and a half years, really. And it just continued to grow. I never had time to really slow down and rebrand it. I added team members, I added contractors along the way. Um, and then just last year, I'm, I mean, I'm five years in now, and just last year I just rebranded to a brand that I would be proud to represent, but that's not necessarily how I would tell anybody to start a business, for sure. What was that first brand? 
Inspire Marketing. Inspire Marketing. Yes. And funny enough, it was spelled E-N-S-P-I-R-E, which isn't even a word, just for the record. And um, again, not something I would recommend to anybody. <laughs> Where did threaded marketing come from? So there is a concept in marketing called the red thread. And you always want this red thread kind of going throughout your company, right? You want it in messaging, you want it in the client experience, you want it from start to finish, all the way to invoicing. You want the client to feel the same feel about a brand from start to finish. But red thread is so overused. So threaded is a almost a more thorough term than integrated marketing and communications. And it, it threads everything together, which is exactly what we do. We come in and help from the beginning stages. We can kind of piecemeal, hey, you need a brochure. Hey, you need help with communications. Hey, you need an external plan. You need social media. Hey, you need a website. All of these pieces that thread together to really create a brand for someone. Learning from your own branding mistakes, what are some of the bad practices people get involved with in marketing? So I actually have a client right now um, that sees the value in marketing but doesn't want to come up with the upfront strategy. They just want a website. They just want business cards. And I think that's a huge mistake. You have to really think about your audience first and foremost and your niche. What are you focused on and what are you offering and what are your differentiators in that marketplace? And then take those to build all of these other items. I mean, a website's pretty basic and business cards are pretty basic, but you may not need social media, so to speak, if you are only marketing to government contractors, right? Like you have to think about your audience and where you wanna be and what message you're even telling them and I feel like so many, especially small business owners, um, they want to be everything to everybody. They just, they don't want to narrow their focus because they're worried they're not going to get customers in that niche or it's going to alienate someone else over here. Where I think creating that strategy and knowing what you're good at and what you have to offer is the foundation before you can build anything else. So you have customers that will come to you and they're ready for you to do logo design, business cards, website, and all that. They're ready to spend money and now you're trying to educate them to not spend the money on that, to spend it on strategy. How do you make that value proposition to your clients? It's a hard one. Um, it's something I struggle with and some clients get it quicker than others. Some clients don't. Um, this client I'm working with right now, it has been a struggle. I think for those clients who are not as open to taking a step back and saying, okay, let's really strategize and let's really think about what we're offering here and how our services, how our product is different. Um, and you know, some people it's um, that, for instance, one of my clients um, is a contractor. They do things a little bit different than other contracting companies in regards to they actually integrate with the, the client, they, they share an office, they become real like partners rather than kind of being this outside resource. And that's a huge differentiator in that market, in that specific industry, that's a huge thing. 
when I first started working with them, they were not really capitalizing on that. They just, that's kind of the way they always did business. That's just the way that they are. They didn't realize that that was such a differentiator and to tell people that because their clients said, you know, we love having a partner in this advisor that's right here beside us this whole time that can advise when you're talking about a multi-million dollar project, this is big stuff. Well, taking that step back and really planning it is vital and in some it can be as simple as a, a sometimes it's just a one hour conversation and really talking through and kind of me asking them questions you know what got you to this point how are you offering your services now do you find that this is working for your clients you know where's the biggest um, bulk of your money coming in right now is it specific markets is it specific clients is it specific audience you know and really trying to focus that and then you can figure out you know if they're targeting children right? That's going to be a totally different um, market that you want to get in front of, whether the, if you're marketing government clients. So just kind of figuring that out and helping them understand. You've got to get them. So that's more time intensive. Yes. Which costs more yes. money. Yes. And you're still fighting against, take my money, I want a website. Yes. <laughs> How do you filter out the customers that aren't fitting your model? So it's only happened twice. Um, there have been one situation where um, the gentleman was an education consultant himself and wanted some help. After talking to him, he, I think my expertise specifically, I did not feel like I could add a lot of value in his market. I didn't think um, that I knew the industry that he wanted to work in well enough to be able, um, and knowing that and being able, you know, no one wants to turn down a client, but at the same time, if I can't add value to him and help him grow, then I'm not really doing my job anyway. Um, so I think knowing when to say no and just say, hey, that's not a really good fit for me. And funny enough, he came back to me a year later and started a nonprofit and it was a company I was able to help him with and we still help him with. So I think, again, just creating that, that was a referral. I never met him before, but just keeping in touch with him and kind of generating that, that relationship, you know, when he did have something that I could help with later on, then he came back to me at that point. But I think the other piece of that is trying to really, you know, I think, it's easy to say, hey, build me a website. But your website could look the same as everybody else's. And if you are not offering something that speaks to someone, right? Your money, we all work hard for our money. Nobody wants to just hand over money to people, right? So I think when you talk to people and they see the experience that you have, they, you can automatically, you know, in that first meeting, I'm giving them ideas as I'm asking them questions. Have you thought about this? You know, you just told me X, Y, Z. Have you considered XYZ or have you tried it? You know, and so I think that kind of gets their wheels turning of like, wow, she has good ideas and she can help execute. A lot of people come to marketing agencies for their marketing plan to translate into sales. How do you deal with that? So ROI is so tough in our industry. It really, really is. Unless you have a direct campaign, there is no way to 100% know where a new client's coming from. 
we always say five to seven touch points a year. So in order for someone to make a buying decision, they need to see your brand, be comfortable with your brand at least five to seven times. Now that doesn't mean that they need five to seven emails from me saying, hey Cash, you ready to buy? Hey Cash, you ready to buy? That doesn't mean that. That means, you know, they need to see an article that I wrote maybe on LinkedIn. They need to see, um, you know, maybe a Christmas card coming from my company. They maybe need to run into another client or, you know, maybe they pass a, a sign that they know that I designed and it's on the side of the road and they were like, oh yeah, I know that's one of Kelly Joe's clients. Those are all touch points, even though I personally haven't directly, you know, connected with you on it. So it's really difficult to directly correlate the ROI to any specific, I mean, I, you know, I can't say, hey, spend XYZ on your website because you're going to get these clients. Now we have all kinds of, of stats that we track and everything, but I think the, the big thing when I talk to my clients about this is we talk about a very holistic marketing approach. It is not just a one-off here and there. In order to do it right, you have to have a full strategy. And that's everything from what community you know, engagement are you involved in? How many, um, how many clients have you targeted in the last you know, three months? And what have you done to target them, right? What conversations are you having? Where is your brand? What does that brand represent? What experience do you have to bring to the table to that client? You know, we're having all of these kind of business development conversations, but ROI is such a hard thing. And I get that question all the time. And it, it, it's just a challenge even for, you know, those of us who have been in the industry a long time. You've talked about building your team. You're up to how many employees now? I have five. What's the next phase for threaded marketing? Gosh, some exciting news that kind of has just started to kind of come to form is my first boss out of college, worked for, I worked for that architectural and engineering firm, and um, she potentially is gonna be making some changes. And so we've talked about maybe her starting a threaded arm down in Orlando and starting to kind of build that market a little bit. We've done some work down there, so it'd be an easy transition for her to be the kind of boots on the ground down there. Um, and kind of take over the Atlanta, Charlotte, Orlando market, that region. Is this breaking here? Yes. Oh, got yes. an exclusive. Yes, okay. it's an exclusive. Yeah. So how do you retain that ownership of your brand by it going outside of your home base? So one of the things that I implemented early on was a QAQC internal. So every single thing before it goes out of our company in any way, shape or form has to go through somebody else's eyes. 90% of the time, it's my eyes. Um, so anything that goes client facing, somebody in the firm has to see it, has to review it, has to read it. Just for those little things, when you start working on, I mean, for a brochure, for instance, you've looked at it so many times, you start to miss things. You start to say, hey, that message isn't strong enough, or hey, you need a call out, or hey, you don't have a testimonial you know, all of those things that somebody else can see really quickly, but you've been looking at it for so long, you kind of become numb to it. So that's one of the things, and I stand by that, I think it's one of the best things that I did because there has been so many things that we've caught, just minor, you know, our, pay, our clients are paying us to be the experts. They should not have to go back and fix grammatical errors. They should not have to go back and see, um, you know, a colors off or, um, 
you know, a, a message that isn't consistent from one piece to another, things like that. Like that's our job. So we need to catch it in house before it goes out. Is there a chance that threaded marketing becomes corporate? You know, people have asked me that. I never want to have that firm where people are in cubes and you just pop up, you know, like the hedgehog, um, groundhog. But one of the things that I love about it is that it's flexible. Um, in fact, one of my key team members works from 9 p.m. to 2 a.m. because she's got two small kids and she wants to be with her kids all day. And I'm like, hey, you get your work done, I don't care when you work. And so I think that flexibility is one of the things that uh, helps me keep that talent. Um, but I wouldn't mind being a little bit bigger than what we are now. What that looks like, I don't know. Um, you know, I mean, even being here, it's a very humbling experience. It's like, I haven't made it. Why do you want to interview me? You know, because I think about the apples of the world. And I'm like, gosh, I can't even imagine having a company that big with that many employees and team members and locations and stuff. Um, but never say never. Thank you for being here today, Kelly Joe. If people want to learn more, they can learn it at www.threadedmarketinggroup.com. And I must say, it's been very inspiring. <laughs> Good <laughs> <Thanks>. play. <laughs>